a note, note from, from our, our producers. producers. This is Andy and Mavis. This movie has some really harmful depictions of Native Americans and our history with them. And even though we do mention it later on in the podcast, we wanted to state it up front. That uh, neither I nor Andy are of Native American or Indigenous descent. So we wanted to encourage you guys to do your own research and find those first-hand accounts. They're always going to be way more valuable than anything him or I have to say. We would also like to take this time to ask that you consider donating to Native American causes. The Native Americans Rights Fund is a great place to start. But don't be afraid to look into any local reservations that could also use your help. As always, thank you for listening. Fuck this movie. The year is 1931. Uh, And in the year 1931, our time favorite door knockers have arrived. The Jehovah's Witnesses are starting. Oh my god. (laughs) I was wondering wondering where this was going. Yeah, they changed their name from the International Bible Students Association and finally got the name the Jehovah's Witnesses. They like affirmed it. Like yeah. we're a cult now. We're, we're a for, cult We now. are for sure a cult now. That's a little it's rude. It's time to pester people. I was friends with the Jehovah's Witness when I was in elementary school. I was friends with Mormons. It's okay. We grow up. We, we get better. <laughs> I remember them really hating it yeah. because they weren't allowed to like celebrate holidays. Or their birthday. Uh, something else that happened in 1931 is that a 17-year-old pitcher by the name of Jackie Mitchell, who was a girl, nice. struck out Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig in the same baseball exhibition it was her first professional baseball exhibition match and after she did this women were banned from baseball forever (laughs) that's so baller her contract was a not like she showed these two old white men up so hard and immediately afterwards all women were banned from baseball forever oh no her contract was annulled you know what else happened in 1931 andy what the cinnaron got Best picture in the Academy. Cimarron. I'll be your critic, uh, Andy Reyes. I try to bring socialist perspectives as well as minority perspectives to light in my criticism if I can. Hello, I'll be your critic, Mavis Evergreen. I take a feminist lens and an LGBT lens to my criticism. The second one isn't really applicable to a lot of these old movies. This is a rough one. This is a rough one. And I think part of the reason the energy is weird is because this movie sucks. It's so (laughs) bad. This movie sucks. As it turns out, movies are bad. We had a brief moment. Of hope, we were like, maybe movies are, are good. No. We knew the Cimarron was no, going to be bad. bad. There we was knew. no hope. I, from the moment I read it was a Western, I was like, oh no. Oh no, 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 I, no. I, I, don't, I don't know about this one, folks. Do you want to read it? I'll be introducing our film this time. So the Cimarron was directed and produced by Wesley Ruggles. It's based on a novel by Edna Ferber, starring Richard Dix and Irene Dune. Our white savior wants land in the big Oklahoma land rush. He fails to grab land and goes anyway, taking his racist wife and child with him. Also a slave. They settle in the boom town of Osage. He constantly wants more and frequently abandons his family. His wife harasses women and hates Native Americans. She also runs his newspaper. The movie ends with her joining Congress and giving a speech about how they cured racism and sexism. And then her vagrant husband appears, only to die in her arms. Slut. This movie is very boring. This movie is two hours long? Almost two hours flat. I think it's like two hours and four minutes. Yeah. Which I think is not, it's not the, it can't be the longest movie we've seen. I think All Quiet on the Western Front is longer. The problem is, is this movie isn't held up by anything. It is ostensibly a movie where you watch this fake town Osage, like, rise up. 
through the perspective of this family, but that just means, like, it doesn't have any plot points and nothing is happening, and we just have five different time skips throughout the film? I think so, because the movie, the movie starts in 1889, and it ends, I think, in 1931. Yeah. Which is when the movie came out. Yeah. Which is quite a length of time. That's... 50 years, 50 yeah. 50 years? Fuck. This movie has a million problems that we'll get into, but one of, just from a film perspective, it's it's a very boring movie. Let's talk about these things first, because like we're going to talk about a lot more we're, boring yeah, things about, later. We're going to talk about a lot of heavy stuff, I think, because this movie um, is a movie in which heavy things must be discussed. But a thing that I want to address is this movie doesn't know what pacing or what drama or what tension is. And a thing that I think really adds to, like, the length of this movie is how poor the pacing is. How many pregnant pauses we have that don't actually mean anything. I mean, this whole movie really feel this whole movie feels like an aside, right? Like, anytime you're watching something and you think to yourself, God, I wonder what was happening between the prologue and the start of this story. And, like, this movie is all of that negative space, right? But, like, brought to bear on its own weight. Yeah. And there's... And it turns out the reason that shit isn't in books and movies is because it sucks. Because it's super boring. It's really bad. Yeah. So, so the movie almost feels like vignettes. It's a fun fact. We'll just get to this now. We'll cut to this chase. You might be thinking, oh, well, what initiates a time skip? And if you're not thinking that, good, why would you? Every time this husband abandons his wife and kids, oh, God. a time skip happens. So all of the, like time leaps are just this man doing something more interesting literally like the first time skip is they is him being like oh they're doing another land grab i'm gonna go out and do that land grab and her being like no we finally made a home here no because that's is that the second one that's the middle one that that one happens after he does the shootout with the kid oh you're right th- so he like becomes mayor and then see, there's a time skip. yeah so there's a time skip after he shoots the guy who killed the old editor, this is an interesting episode. Then he, that, but, right, and that's the thing is this is is yeah, this is an interesting. And then there's a time skip after he kills the kid, and then there's a time skip when he goes for the other land rush, and then the last time skip is just fucking. Him leaving for yeah, twenty years. All, we need to be in in in, in 1931. We need now. to get to the end of this movie. So fuck him, fuck it. Yeah, we're just there now. I, I'm trying to I'm trying to think if I've read any stories about like a place. Right, like a story that you takes read place. That story about like the church being built. Yes, Pillars of Eternity. Mm-hmm. That, which is a good fucking book that I haven't finished actually, but uh, I book. got I got to a point where it was going to places where I was like, I don't really know if I'm interested in this. But it's a great book that is specifically mm-hmm. about building a cathedral, mm-hmm. which is a, a thing that takes, or at least back then, took 50 years. Like a person's lifetime would be dedicated to building a cathedral. It is like the dream of a stonemason to be able to do such a thing, right? Mm-hmm. To exemplify all of that skill and craftsmanship. And so the whole story revolves around this family under the weight of the dream of this parental figure who who has no time for family because he is so consumed Right by this need to leave an indelible mark of his legacy on this earth in the form of a cathedral. Mm-hmm. And the thing that makes that story work that this movie doesn't do at all is that that story actually tackles what is going on inside of his head every time he makes those decisions. Mm-hmm. Every time he chooses his obsession over his family, we see that struggle within him and we see it in his family too mm-hmm. because they're characters who e. have actions. But nobody in this movie does anything, especially the main character. No. Nobody has feelings in this movie. Everyone is just a set of actions. 
Never in this movie do we have a moment where we just reflect on how somebody's feeling. People get, like, mad, but they get mad in, like, an action-oriented way. Like, I'm mad, so I'm gonna do this thing. And that's it, baby. So the the main push and pull in this movie is is this Yancey uh, couple, Yancey and, and Sabra. Cool names for such uncool characters. Cool names characters. for the lamest characters. And they have no chemistry they don't love each other there's nothing between them that's even slightly interesting because nobody has emotions in this movie like why should i care about anything anyone's doing because nobody feels anything ostensibly these two characters ostensibly these two are characters but (laughs) these two characters have a tension which is that sabra wants to settle down yeah but yancey does not (sighs) yancey is portrayed as being a multitude of things but um he's almost like a combination of like a proto he's like a proto john wayne but has like a little bit of abraham lincoln in him (laughs) so i would say like the two main influences that i see in in this lad yancey yancey is that one he's like very much like the ever suffering sane man you know when you have a comedy right and it's like oh you need a straight man to make these jokes work he's like the straight man but the comedy is racism and like sexism and it's like everyone around me is racist and sexist but i'm the only sane man but then he participates in all of the racist and sexist you just know better and choose to do it anyway so this doesn't really work but this is why he's like our white savior is because he's like cares through words but not through actions i mean i i think in a large part the movie frames him like i'm trying to think of like a contemporaneous example he is in a sense he is a character who can see the future in a way that the other characters can't right like he is a character who's like prescient of the place of history that he is embodying Mm -hmm. and you see you see these kinds of people crop up in stories all the time and they're not usually the main character they're usually like a supporting like they're like a gandalf or a charles xavier right yeah Like, like i am in this moment in history and i am aware of it and you can usually do something pretty cool with that because usually that character is portrayed as being incredibly forward thinking compared to the backwards people around him Um, but this movie doesn't do that because he is just as shitty as everyone else because he's doing all of the same racist things as everybody else he's just like mad at other people for participating in the things he's participating in Mm. and the other thing is like he's a real wanderlust which feeds into the he's participating in these systems i think the ideal is like ah he's like a red-blooded American frontierman, and, like, he can never settle down because he's always after the next big score. Yeah, he, he's, he's he's making history, which means he can't ever have a family. Yeah, he's he's too he's too busy manifesting the destiny, right? He's too busy manifesting the destiny. And, and America needs men like him out there manifesting destiny. This um, is what a real entrepreneur looks like. Yeah, oh my god, yes. Like, we see this... this ideal of a person these days we see it in your steve jobs right because he is a terrible person awful no good morally reprehensible human being right but we we have this like cult of personality around him because he did all of these quote good things he created the world we live in in the name of progress and so the bad things were good because if not because otherwise there couldn't have been anyone who who did them only steve jobs could do them this movie's trying to say that, like, frontiersmen are the same way, right? Yeah. Like, if they hadn't gone out there and done these shitty things, then this country wouldn't have been worth settling. Yeah. Which will bring us into the primary topic of what we're going to talk about later. Manifesting your destiny. And how, we man- how America specifically manifested its destiny. This movie uses the word the American Empire a lot, and uh, we're going to get into that. Well, and, yeah, because... 
because and we're talking about all this stuff negatively but this movie this movie doesn't realize that what it's doing is shitty because it is it is a movie that was made in 1931 so it thinks all of these things are good like yeah this movie takes has the wild take of pointing out the atrocities and how terrible it is but being like well this had to happen anyway it's this movie has a very pathetic i was gonna say like sympathetic but like pathetic relationship with like oh well we shouldn't have killed all of these native americans it was glorious and heroic that frontiers people existed and it doesn't know what to do with that duality so it just sort of acknowledges it but then proceeds to do it and frame it as heroism Mm -hmm. it's it's basically saying yeah it's tragic but they left us no choice yeah uh, or like, yeah, this... it's tragic, but these men are still heroes. And like, all... I don't know. All of this sounds so much like more interesting than it actually is no. because we, I, I, I cannot stress enough that we never see any of this because because the characters only ever talk about it in the past tense. Yeah, it has already happened, and the characters are talking about it. No one's actually doing things um, because nobody does things in this movie. Things just plot points literally just walk up to people and say we have we are here to happen. You had mentioned while we were watching that, like, plot points really just walk up to him. And it had reminded me of um, a thing that I had discussed earlier, potentially with you, about main characters, specifically male main characters, but it could be anyone, not really earning the prestige of their character because we are just to assume they are prestigious and they never do anything to earn that prestige. Mm -hmm. And this movie falls into this. This man is famous and we don't know why and everyone loves him. Um, and everyone's like, and even the villains are scared of him and we never get to see any of that. Like he's just famous and we just need to accept that. The plot just literally walks up to him and we just need to accept that. Like this man does nothing to earn any acclaim. We just have to accept that he should be acclaimed. And I mean, it doesn't help that like the first thing we see in this movie is watch him get owned by a much more interesting character. Oh, I love her. I don't know what her name is. Dixie Lee. Dixie Lee. How could you not? I forgot about Dixie Lee. Dixie Lee. Has arrived. <laughs> we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it. There's a lot of things to talk about. In this. This, so is, this might be a five-star episode. This might have a five-star run because there's so much to talk so about. So much. Like, uh, oh, so here's something I'll say. Is a term that gets thrown around a lot that I really do not like is when characters are called Mary Sue's, right? Oh, yeah. Which is a character that has seemingly not earned their whatever, right? Like, you you see this term thrown around a lot at female characters. And you know, some people try to come around and be like, you know, real Mary Sue's are like, you know, your Luke Skywalker's and your Kirk's in the new Star Trek movies. And I, I still think that that is like a misuse of the term because at the end of the day, it's still like a derogatory. It's term. a derogatory term. However, if any character in the history of cinema ever fit that archetype to a T, it would be Yancey Cravat because this motherfucker does nothing. He does nothing. He he dis- literally fails at everything he goes out to try to like entrepreneur or anything he tries to manifest. Like he never well because the only thing manifests su- any destiny because the only thing he ever succeeds at is running a newspaper, which is actually run by his wife. Yeah, and uh, so one dude. of the things he's just given is when he's introduced, they're like, "You have this newspaper," but he is like bouncing all the time from his family, and very early on, it is established that his wife is actually running this newspaper, and she just doesn't change the name on. It. And well, like there are there are pros and cons and mostly cons with this, uh. But it's like, yeah, you don't even do the thing you're like literally famous for. The one thing that's a success was done by your wife. It's absurd. And the byline that is the fact that this newspaper is edited by Yancy Cravat 
mm-hmm. becomes like a very prominent symbol and theme at the end of this movie. About a good wife. What a good wife she is. There's a lot of weight to what this movie does with this idea. Yeah. Let's talk about it. We're already here. We've arrived. Yeah, we, we've, arrived at the, we've arrived. We've arrived at the first big thing. So we need to talk about the relationship between Sabra and Yancey because another big part of Yancey's character that will get us into talking about Sabra's character is Yancey is very demeaning to his wife, Sabra. The relationship they have, again, doesn't really have like any romance or anything in it. It's closer to the relationship of like a father and daughter, the way he treats her. Anytime he speaks to her, he is talking down to her or like explaining something to her and like commonly uses terms like pet and things like that. Just like very demeaning things that were commonplace then, but like that doesn't make them better. Do you think the scriptwriter wrote in pet name and they never thought of one? They just never thought of one, yeah. But there's a specifically a scene where, like, Yancey and the wife get shot at, and the wife gets upset about it. So she walks up to the person who shot them and is like, how dare you shoot at my husband? We could have died. And Yancey Fair. pulls his wife aside and is like, it's just boys being boys, honey. Literally, almost literally says that. Why don't you calm down? You're acting out of place. You're making me look bad. Yeah. People are going to say that I hid behind your corset. Yeah. Whatever the fuck he says. And it's just like, that's every conversation they have. And a part of this problem is that Sabra exists to oppose her husband. Like, that's kind of the only character she's given is that she is a nag, is that she's wrong. She's in big part the symbol of the society that is dumb and that is racist and that is terrible, that he has to oppose. Because that's where a lot of our interactions happen, is with Sabra. There, there is a fundamental almost, like, this is this is a way in which the movie does not understand how, how social leaders work and how, like, people who enact great social... I don't believe in the great man theory of history, but... Ooh. One of the things that we do know, if you even learned a little bit of like social theory and social movement theory, is that this is not true of men and wives, like of people who ostensibly did great social things. They tend to work very much in tandem. And often it is usually the relationship between like a social movement leader who is male and their spouse or their partner is that they are very much partners. They are equals in each other's eyes and because you have to be for, and like you see this with Martin Luther King Jr. and his wife, Coretta Scott King. I'm, I'm trying to think of like, uh, like Mahatma Gandhi and his wife, whose name also escapes me, uh, which shows how shitty I am at like history <laughs> because I didn't remember these women's names. I remember Coretta Scott King though. It's one of the things when you look at social movements is there has to be inequality amongst the people in the movement pushing for this change because if you do not have equality in your movement, how can you push that equality onto others it's because this movie is a white movie written for white people and doesn't actually care about social change it is wild to me that a woman wrote this book and took the perspective of like aren't wives real racist nags aren't wives terrible so let's talk about specifically like the actions sabra does sabra does three things that i think are like important to talk about the first thing we talked about which is that she runs this newspaper And the thing we see her do with this newspaper is harass a woman. So let's meet my second favorite character of this movie. It's Celine. Just arrived in town. Dixie Lee. So Dixie Lee. Just arrived in town. She's new in town. Mm. Uh The woman who's speaking was our favorite character. Anyway. She's not a character, but she's definitely... 
And I'll talk about it later. She's my highlight of the movie for sure. Dixie Lee is a very clever woman. She steals the plot of land from Yancey in the beginning of the movie. And she does it by being very witty. And it's very fun. It's a fun scene. It gave me like slightly elevated hopes for this movie. And then they just crashed it into the ground. It is an amazing start to this movie. Well, the that's not true. Because the start to this movie is them hanging around in a very loud scene in which that was actually shot outdoors i think and with like five thousand extras or something ridiculous this was back when you could like murder horses for movies you know like ben her and all that shit i'm not sure i don't know if they actually murdered a horse in this it's really hard to do research on this movie like it just doesn't exist it really does look like they fucking murdered this horse though so dixie lee like falls off her horse and she's like oh his leg is broken you should shoot him for me with your gun. Put him out of his misery. I just can't do it. And while he does that, she steals his horse and is like, damn, son, guess you're walking back home. Don't hit the player, hit the game, Dixie Lee. It's very heavily like implied that Dixie Lee is like a prostitute or something. Uh, but at the very least, she's like an un- an unwed woman. Oh. An independent unwed woman, an which is worse. An independent unwed woman. The second time we see Dixie Lee, she's coming into the altar service with just like a troop of hot ladies. And it's the coolest shit. You That's have all great. of these very like uptight ladies who are like, oh yes, church service. And then you see these ladies and they're like showing their calves. And you're like, damn, who these ladies be? Who are all these single ladies? All the single ladies. You, you can, I, I could hear it in my mind because I was singing it out loud as the scene happened. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it is a good scene. It's a super good scene. And you're like, what's Dixie Lee going to do? And the answer is get harassed by Sabra. Uh, Sabra literally just launches a campaign like rallies to the get her whole, arrested. Rallies the whole community of women. Through the newspaper to just be like, this is our white picket fence community and we can't have these sluts hanging around. So she literally just tries to get her arrested for being a public nuisance. Public nuisance is the, the, the yeah. crime specifically, yes. And this all happens while Yancey is missing for five years because he ran away to go get more free land and then somehow got caught up in the Cuban War of Independence or something. Yeah. And I think also the Mexican-American War. Yeah. So fuck him. I didn't, like, I didn't connect that, but if that did happen in this movie... He does, yeah. Yeah, fuck him. Damn. He comes back and he's like, he keeps Dixie from getting put in jail for literally no reason other than my wife doesn't like you and he's like my wife my wife don't you know that she's sad and abandoned without a husband she's just an abused woman and she can't protect herself unlike you who has a strong husband who's constantly here and never leaves you and then and then saber literally goes marriage safety heaven <laughs> chico and it's awful and it's so dumb. And in this moment, I guess Sabra learns empathy. No. Like no, a Pokemon, that, she evolves and learns empathy. No, because it's not empathy, right? What she learns is that she should have trusted her husband this whole time. Because the other big thing that this movie's kind of sort of doing is everyone in town thinks that Yancey is sleeping with Dixie. Is sleeping with Dixie, or at the very least supporting her, which, how could he, right? Because yeah. he's a fucking well off to do man and she's a 
woman who can't literally cannot make a living yeah so what's wrong with that and so she's jealous and like the real big lesson is that she should have trusted her husband the whole time because yeah. he would never he would, he would never do that to her because he's so fucking stoic and white and a man yeah all of those things have never done that before it's true in history ever. so yet again just a very demeaning moment i mean let's point out i don't like saber i think saber fucking sucks yes she's such a terrible person. And I feel like she's very much just encoded in all of the worst things that are prescribed to women. Dixie Lee, though, 10 out of 10. The movie really thinks that it's like painting a picture, being like, haven't you thought a woman's either married or abused? And there's no in between. And it's like, Dixie's fine. She's not abused and destitute by anyone other than society. Like, she doesn't need a husband. She just needs you guys to fucking calm down. The, 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 the movie is actually like, not all women are whores. But it doesn't quite work because the solution is that, well, women should just marry good white men. Yeah. She married a bad white man. But if she had married a good white man, this would have happened. Haven't you ever been tricked when you were innocent and in your youth? God. Led astray by... Who led her astray? Oh, a white, white man? man? God. Fucking have your cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. So at the she need, end... What of... she needed to do was marry a man who abandoned her every five years. Sorry. Okay, you're good. Continue. No, no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> So a thing that is like a focal point of this movie that we touched on earlier is she basically runs this newspaper for, for the rest of her life. And she never changes like the header from her husband's name. It always says edited by Yancey. And it's it's this, it's supposed to be this symbol of like marriage and union and like, oh, I always trust my husband will come back to me. That's why I never change the name. And it's fucking sucks. It's literally just being like every woman should stand behind a man and not take credit for any of the things they do and be used and abused. And it's like, hey, I think Sabra sucks. And she literally like abuses whatever power she has to put other people down. Mm-hmm. We'll talk more about that later. But uh, I also don't agree with the tone of like, you should be a good wife and not take credit for things. And you should always be a stepping stone for your husband. We, cause we hear, we hear, and, and I want to stress that the movie is not doing this. And that's what makes this so frustrating. You hear a lot of stories, especially nowadays, as more and more of these things come to light of these women who did all of this work in history and could not, could not legally take credit for it. And so mm. did not get credit for it, yeah. you know, until long after they're dead. And, you know, it comes to light. Oh, well, actually a woman did this and her husband or some random fucking guy just took credit for it for no other reason than that it was a woman, right? Yeah. And that's not what this is. She could have easily, the whole time... Taking credit. Taking credit for all of this. The movie does not ever frame it as like a struggle on her part. No. She just elects to put the man in front of her because... That's the proper thing to do. Because if he was here, he would have done a better job anyway or whatever the fuck. I think she literally says that. She literally says if he was here, he would have done a better job. The old printerman. Yeah. Who who is a character in this movie, I guess. Who who literally walks up to Yancey at the beginning of this movie who's like sitting at a bar like, I don't know what I'm going to do to run this newspaper all by myself. And then he walks up and is like, you know, I ran the newspaper for the last guy who got knackered. Why don't I do it for you? Not only that, we forgot to leave out. He has a stutter. Oh, which is yeah. super funny. Oh my God. Don't the- we love making fun of people's speech impediments? You want to talk about Sabra's other major personality flaw, Andy? Which is that she hates Native American people. So, yeah, I mean, this is, it's the natural thing to talk about next because that's the reason for the argument, right? Yeah. That's the big inciting argument, which is that Yancey's entire character really boils down to the fact that, and I'm saying this in heavy quotes, 
unlike everybody else, he really cares about the Indian problem, which is what it was called contemporaneously at the time. He really does care about the plight of Native Americans. But at the same time, you know, he doesn't care enough to not take the land that we're stealing from them. And Twice. I would, I do need to stress that it was stolen. It is stolen land because it was never ours to buy to begin with and it was never theirs to sell. It is their ancestral homeland and we abuse the legal systems that we invented in part to steal it from the Native American people. And... And he is super willing to engage with those systems. He criticizes the system for abusing the Native American. He praises the Native American for not trusting that system and yet is upholding the law of the system. He is not fighting the system because the system isn't the problem to him. Just a couple of bad eggs. It's, it, it is literally like you see these people all the time who are like, well, man, you know, it re- it's a societal issue. That's why there's homeless people. And it's too bad there's nothing we can do about it. It's like... What the fuck are you talking? We could give them homes, right? And it's like the 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 movie really thinks that that they are framing this like super important white savior. He is necessary for for American settlement. And that is true because it is because the people that fucked over the Native Americans the most were not the white men who wanted to kill them openly, but men like Yancey Cravat who upheld the letter of the laws that were created to oppress them. But in in their words and in their relations to Native Americans, pretended to support them, or at least you know did all of the promotional work to be presentative, right? Because those are the ones who are really, truly, insidiously oppressing. He is essentially a liberal Democrat. He's refusing to do anything. To be fair, at the time, I guess he would have been a Republican because that's just you know the way politics are. Yeah. Um, at one point, he is shown with, like, a portrait of Abraham Lincoln, like, right fucking behind him. Like He really loved Abe. And it's wild to me that in 1931, like, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated in, what, 1880 or so years earlier, and he's already mythologized. Not only does he have a picture of Abe, he also has a black servant. So I feel like he really didn't get the message... Oh, to be fair, the United States didn't get the No, message, but right? I just feel like it's such a wild dichotomy of being like, I love Abe, he was such a good man. What a great I'm person. I'm still pro cheap slave labor. Cheap, yeah. Well, and to be fair, though, right? I mean, to be fair, what a fucking heavy load of lifting those words are doing. Not to be fair. Fuck him. <laughs> he is definitely profiting off of the indentured servitude of this black child. But the movie frames it as, well, the black child wanted to be his slave. The black child wanted to go to the West uh, with him so desperately. And he's honestly doing this kid a favor uh, by letting him stow away, be his slave, and then get shot down and die. He died trying to save my son, and I don't give a shit, says Yancey. I literally ignore him as he dies gasping my my name. name To save him. He also doesn't let him go to church. I don't know if we we literally have a scene where we laugh at this person. Because he this African American person, this black kid. Who is being played by an actual black person. Which is more than I can say for any of the Native Americans in this movie. That's true. And he he is always the butt of the joke. Uh and then Yancey's literally like you can't attend church. You're black. Go back to the house. Here, let me give you my gun. Yeah, it's wild. So that you can protect our house, but please don't come to church. You're embarrassing us. Yeah. 
It's Sorry, a, I got distracted. No, for sure, right? And it's definitely like, I wish we could talk more about it, but I, I believe you me, I think we're going to have plenty of more things to talk about when it comes to like African-American representation in film. But I want to get in on the jump on the Native American stuff in this movie. Because it's this, all this, of the movies. Because, because Native this movie, American this movie thinks it's being so progressive and this is going to be the last time I can talk about it until 1990 when we get to Dances with Wolves, which is 60 years away? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> um, so... I want to stress that I am not an indigenous person. Neither is my host. No. You know, I'm Hispanic. As a Hispanic person, I am very much grew up in a culture that was and is just as belittling to Native Americans as the American culture. It's a different relationship, the relationship that people in Mexico have to their indigenous community, but it is just as oppressive. I am not talking about this experience as, like, my experience. But I want to talk about this experience as honestly as I can. And with that honesty kind of has to be an aggression. There has to be an aggression because anything less than that, and I am not speaking truth to power about what it is that we are doing to Native Americans in this movie, and we will continue to do to Native Americans in cinema until they are allowed to tell their own stories. There is a very specific misconception of the Native American diaspora in the United States that is rooted in their perceived backwardsness. Whether you portray them as the noble savage or as the wise uh, Native American, right? Or as the, the bloody, basically orcs of the Wild West. It doesn't matter. They're both bad because they are both rooted in this idea that they are set dressing. They are a backdrop. They are as immaterial to the United States as the trees we cut down um, and the forests that we burn. They are no better and in fact worse because they weren't using the land properly and we can. This, this idea of industrialism. And that's, and it's not my place to say what that feels like, but Part of what being an ally is in these moments is looking at that and saying, hey, this fucking sucks and we cannot let it continue. And unfortunately, Hollywood has done no better. In the United States right now, there are over 500 recognized Native American tribes. That is three times the number of countries in the world recognized by the UN, right? And how many of them can I name? Barely five. And honestly, most of that was reading that I did today, right? Like, and we, what we do in these movies is we reduce them to a singular unit because it is easier to oppress them when they are regarded as such. They are not a monolith. In the same way that African Americans in the United States aren't a monolith, Hispanics in the United States aren't a monolith, Native Americans are as diverse as any peoples in the world. And this movie treats them like fucking garbage while on its face talking about their, them as if they have been solved. As if everything that happened when this movie came out in the 1930s, when Native Americans are still being forced to go to boarding schools and like to be forcibly assimilated and and their culture reduced. Um, At this point in history, this movie thought it was a solved problem because we gave Native Americans the vote by fucking 1931. But in this movie, no Native American with a speaking voice is is played by Native American. They are all white people in brown face. And the Native Americans that we do see, they don't get to talk, and the camera lingers on them, but for more than a second, to remind us that they're there, but honestly, they're just background. They're just set they're dressing. They're literal set dressing. Literal set dressing, to remind us that this is, in fact, Oklahoma. And it's so fucking 
frustrating because like the the Native Americans are not the past of the United States. They are still here, 5.2 million of them, and they are just as diverse and they have just as much to teach us as they ever have. And we need to start listening to them. And so like my encouragement and something that I would like to do as well in my own personal life is to try and watch more of those movies. You know, indigenous directors are finally getting a foothold in popular media, you know, like Taika Waititi is an, is an indigenous man and he is, you know, he won an Oscar, but we are not going to be able to watch a movie in this entire, anything that we do. Like even, even when we get to Dances with Wolves, like none of this catalog is going to be properly representative of what the Native American experience is because none of it is written or directed by them. All of that preamble to say the way that Sabra talks about Native Americans in this movie is so fucking bad that even the movie has to take an aside to be like with with Yancey, her husband, to talk down to her about it. Like, well, you shouldn't say that shit out loud, honey. You keep that inside. There is a line in this movie where Yancey's mother is like, well, you can't go out west. You'll get scalped by savages. Mm -hmm. Like, this movie has no problem profiting off of making fun of and playing into those plights in fact it like is overjoyed with doing racist shit and saying racist things and dehumanizing these people so it can make a hero of its white main character like oh the more racist other characters are and the more belittling other characters are the more yancey's a hero for being like no i think they're human beings but also is still willing to profit off of their genocide. Yeah. Again, it's his words, but not his actions. Yeah, this has... man is willing. This man would shoot a Native American to get a penny. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I don't. I don't not believe it. It's just. It's so much of like and 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 it's so revisionist. And I and I do. And something else I think that I need to stress is that after this movie, it gets worse and it stays fucking bad until we get to about the 80s, right? When, like, the revisionist Western comes around. And the revisionist Western, I would say, is about as good as what this movie does in its treatment to Native Americans. If, maybe if, if maybe the only thing that, you know, those things, these new movies are doing better is that they have actual Native Americans playing those roles. Yeah, the one Native American who gets to speak in this movie is a woman in brown face, and she gets one line. Mm -hmm. And it's, and And it's... also, she gets to be an indentured servant. Oh, yeah, earlier in the movie, I was like... After yeah. their first indentured servant dies, they Big. just pick up a Native American girl, and the wife is like, oh, I wanted some cheap labor around the house. Yeah, cheaper. Not cheap, not as cheap as a slave, but pretty close. But pretty close. And uh, and um, and something that is like a the, kind of a breaking point for, for the argument between these characters is that Yancey wants to publish this article about how the Native American should get the right to vote and should get the right to manage their lands... And she's like, no, you can't publish that. If you publish that, you'll never be able to run for governor, blah, 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 blah. It'll ruin your life. Yeah. And he's like, he points to his name on the newspaper and is like, as long as my name is on that newspaper, uh, you know, what I say goes. And until you change that name off of that newspaper, only then can you tell me what I can publish in my newspaper. And like, motherfucker, she has At been. At this point, he is not running that newspaper. He, she has been running this newspaper largely by herself longer than he has. Yeah. This movie ends literally celebrating like oh they have the vote and we fixed it like sabra literally gives a speech that's like we ended sexism and we ended racism and that's what my husband yancey did is he fixed all of these problems and we did it 
I'm a congresswoman, and I think we have no problems in America. There are no problems anymore. We've... Oil is booming. Surely nothing terrible could ever happen to Native Americans now that we've found oil on their land. Surely we won't do it all again. Yeah. And it's... It, it is buck wild to me. And, like, the, this movie, like, indulges itself in a trope that I will talk about more later, which is that their son, whose name is Cimarron, which I assume is where the name of the movie comes from, I because no seen. other point of the movie does that ever come up as anything, yeah. um, marries this uh, this Native American girl. And, he marries and a girl is, who was his servant. And is very defensive about it, and which which is great. Like, yeah, if you're going to make this choice, do so. But also is playing into a very specific kind of, like, trope. Of the, got real Pocahontas vibes. Yeah, right, of the, 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 the Indian princess. Yeah. Um, she's and, literally a princess. She's like, you can't marry our servant? That's below you. And then he's like, she's not below us? She's the chief's daughter. She's a princess among her people. Uh, she is to them what Alice Roosevelt is to the U.S. presidency. Yeah. Um, which, to be fair, I think Alice Roosevelt was Teddy Roosevelt's daughter, and I think she was a pretty cool lady. lady. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is playing into that trope, right? Well, like, the reason it's okay is because she's not just any Native American. Yeah, She's, like, no. important. She has to be um, an important she, Native American for this to I be I think okay. he also mentions that they have a lot of money now because of all the oil stuff. Yeah, I think he also is like, she's new money. She's got all that money from all the oil that they're selling. Um, and and this is something that I think is historically true, which is that the the Osage Indian tribe was able to more so than I think any other tribe reap the rewards of oil being on their land because they they were like leasing it. But like for for like that one tribe to be successful, right? Like you know you had like five hundred others, very much not so, not be successful and just being taken and just of. get kicked out yeah. for gold or for oil or for whatever the fuck we find. Like I, I want. And I, at the end of the day, like this movie expects us to be sympathetic to Sabra. Like Sabra is portrayed as being a sympathetic character. Like oh well, she's wrong, but she learned. And it's like, no, she is a dehumanizing monster. And the way she treats Native Americans and, like, everyone around her is terrible? It's, it sucks. This movie sucks it's so, so bad. bad. And And I think the worst part of it is, is that it's so boring. It is so boring. Like, nothing happens in it. It's so boring and long and poorly paced. And I should have mentioned this earlier because it's so noisy. Oh, yeah, the, this, the sound mixing the is... The sound mixing is so bad. It, like, hurts your ears to listen to. I think it's just a bad transfer. They haven't, like, sharpened the quality in any way, because who who would want to watch this movie? So it just, yeah, it just it sounds really bad. Really fuzzy in a lot of places. And a lot of the characters fade into the background noise a lot. Yeah. Um, I think the only characters who make it out of that are Yancey, just because his voice is so deep compared mm-hmm. to everybody else's, and Sabra. Yeah. I think that's also just because her actress has a very stage voice very sharp stage voice yeah it's hard for me to talk about any other aspect of this movie because yeah. I, I find it all pales in comparison to 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 everything else yeah and a lot of people when they talk about movies this old want to put it into the frame of like well we have to talk about it kind of in relation to the time that it came out and all that and you, shit. here's the thing is you don't the, actually the point of view of this movie right like the the me- if the message of this movie was at all anything that I could agreeably say is good, I might consider at least mentioning it, right? Like, hey, this movie's trying to... But what this movie wants us to believe at the end of it is that American Empire is good. 
and we should want it. That manifest destiny was just the best time. We should love, we should be manifesting our destiny all over the place. Just getting it on the walls, getting it on the floor. Manifest that destiny. And, you know, if a couple of uh, people got to get genocided along the way, that's tragic. But that's, that's the price the you for pay. Manifest destiny. That's the price you pay for progress. And those are all good things. And that is such a fucking, like, backwards way of thinking it's alien to me i cannot imagine believing it like we we live in that world today and it fucking sucks and it needs to stop and the fact that this movie's trying to portray it as being like a good progressive thing to think is like no i don't want to platform that i i think i think when you kind of fall on like varying sides of this i the thing is is i when you're like well you have to think about this in the time it came out in morals have always existed like fucking i don't believe in the bible but big g was like hey we shouldn't do murder we got like a top 10 commandments maybe we shouldn't kill people like morals have always existed they we don't just get to introduce them and be like well we didn't have empathy or morals until the 2000s like no people knew fucking murder was bad mm-hmm. and it like they were just racist pieces of shit like i don't think the times account for much of anything. No. And I think the only time the times matter is like, oh, well, this thing they were trying to do was progressive and they were fighting a system. So like they, like there are certain things where I like, when you're talking about like social movements, the thing you mentioned earlier, and it's like, this is what they were framing their social movement as. And this is what they were pushing against. It's like, well, yes, they were trying to make change. And when you try to make change, you just sometimes you have to take like a knee on certain things and be like, fuck, if I want to change this, I can't fight for this right now. Like, I'll get back to that. But we got to have one front. Like, those are things that I that I am acceptable and like, oh, well, you have to like the times mattered. But like specifically movies and like the way we view things like, no, this does not this does not get at the times and lots of things I think morally don't deserve at the times. At, at the end of the day, this movie, this the the thing that this movie is fighting for is is abhorrent. It's it's evil. Um, the thing that this movie is fighting for is the glory of Manifest Destiny and what a beautiful time it was and how it carved beautiful American men mm-hmm. and good wives. I mean the movie the movie literally ends well. The movie literally ends with him dying in her arms like a fucking simp. Yeah. But the movie... No, no, it doesn't. The movie literally ends... Because I, 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 I thought I had these backwards, but I didn't. The movie literally ends with them unveiling a statue of Yancey. <sighs> defending with, a Native American. Defending a Native American. And the, the like, plaque is, like, like men, like, frontiersmen, like, uh, uh, like, the ideal that we all strive for, the brave frontiersmen who protected the Native American while taming the la- the wilds of the of America or whatever yeah. the fuck. And it's like, like no. No, that man like, should be pointing a gun at that Native American. For, that Native American should be pointing a gun at that man. Yeah. Fucking well and that's and that's the thing, right, is is that like this the the the, the at the end of the day this movie can you can say whatever you want, but this movie at the end shows you very literally what it thinks it's about. What it thinks it's about and what it thinks the is propaganda about is, it's selling it's strong and the pro- that propaganda is strong in this movie yeah. and and it sucks and it's bad and i fucking hate it and it won an oscar and it won an oscar for best picture and it it shouldn't have won a fucking oscar for toiletry like this is it's it's bad it's te- it's terrible it's so bad i cannot recommend it to anybody i don't think anybody should watch this movie no 
Um, so what was your favorite part of the movie? <laughs> Yeah. Oh God! <laughs> Ken, if if you had to, if I pointed a gun at you right now, what was your favorite part of Cimarron? Well, let me tell you, my favorite part of the movie is early on. There is a scene where Yancey's shooting or fighting with Billy the Kid. Oh yeah, Billy the Kid shoots the slave. By the way, um, and he's like, we had we learn earlier that when he kills someone. He, like, adds a groove to his gun, and he shoots, like, a bunch of people who are in Billy the Kid's gang. And so I looked at this scene, and I went, damn, at the end of this fight, it's gonna be ribbed for his pleasure. (laughs) And And then he shot Billy the Kid. The moment she said that. And we'll play the audio clip. You pegged me. And it was the only moment of joy I had. <laughs> um, at this point, I think we've already played all of the clips. No, we, we, we're missing the Shakespeare clip. Shakespeare! Yeah. <laughs> um, that woman is by far my, my, probably my favorite part of the movie. She's just so humorous. Every time she walks on camera, it's like levity. It's like like, oh, I can breathe because the moment, because if, as long as this woman is on screen, I know that nobody's going to say anything too racist. Um, oh. uh, until the end of the movie, when she's like telling the Jewish character, and there's a Jewish character in this movie. Um, I do, I tried to look it up. I do not think he's being played by a Jewish man. Um, so that sucks. Um, but we, we do know who this actor is oh. because he played the ostensibly racist caricature in seventh heaven oh no that the little the weasel... little jewish man he plays a lot of jewish people i don't think he's jewish i think they i think he was we couldn't we couldn't decide what he was what remember? he was yeah or what he was supposed to, to be. be but um i feel like now he was jewish. he from what i could tell he played a lot of like weaselly evil characters and mm-hmm. it went later when gang movies became really yeah. big he played you know, the kind of gangster in gang movies who's yeah. like, I'll help you. I'll shoot you in the back later when you're not looking. That's yeah. like the kind of character he started That's playing. But in this movie, he plays a very dignified Jewish man mm-hmm. who, who is a seller. and Who sells women's wares. Yeah. So he's pretty cool as well. I also liked him. Yeah. Uh, the movie definitely does him dirty, but he gets a lot of like little, little one-liners in yeah. that are pretty fun. He's pretty chill with Saber's open racism. But, you know. It's one of those things where... This movie... Oh, fuck. This movie came out before the Holocaust. Yeah. Yeah, it did. That's kind of wild, because by this point... Germany is full is in full anti-Semitism mode. Mm-hmm. Or at least getting there. Like, they're yeah. revving up the engines. So, I wonder if this movie thought it was doing something political by having a prominent Jewish character in oh, it. Oh, I wonder. Because he... He's he's never He's he, very noble. Yeah, he's definitely like a dignified side character. He has to get saved by our white, white savior man. first, but like after that he's just a character. Um I'm sure there are some jokes made at his expense. Well, the, And there's there, definitely a prominent one. There's one at the very end that's like he oh, makes yeah. that he makes that's kind of 
weird but kind of makes sense. Yeah, so the the character that Andy really likes is always This is like, the one thing that made me not like her, is this. She 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 is very proud. She's like, I'm very proud my ancestors signed the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, well that's pretty cool. But my ancestors were Moses and they split the Red Sea. I think he specifically mentions the Ten Commandments, which is oh yeah. He he wrote down the Ten Commandments. He specific, he oh yeah, because he's he's doing the he's like she was like they signed it. the Declaration of Independence, and he's like, well, my ancestors was Sign, Moses, and he signed the Ten Commandments. <laughs> signed the Ten Commandments <laughs> by by me, Moses. Uh, I mean God. Um, yeah, uh, which is which is a fun joke. It's interesting because it, it's a fun joke. It I like it. It puts Jewish people in like direct comparison to. The founding fathers yeah which is weird which is weird so andy how old is are my co-stars so let's start with um our main boy himself sabra and yancy so we're starting with yancy we're gonna start with yancy uh yancy um, was played by richard dix indeed <laughs> uh i think he's 35 that's your final answer yeah irene dunn i'll get back to it <laughs> um irene dunn was the actress who played sabra I... How old do you think she was? I cannot remember what this woman looks like. It's hard because at the end of the movie, she's wearing some heavy makeup. I think she's... 25. Final answer? Yeah. Okay. Um, Richard Dix was born in 1893, which means that at the time this movie came out, he would have been 38. Oh, it's pretty close. Pretty close. Pretty close. And the actress who played Sabra, Irene Dunn, was born in 1898. Which puts her at the age of thirty-three. Nice. So she's actually, at, we're actually pretty close. Five years. Yeah, that's which totally is acceptable. Pretty good. Um, I was expecting it to be worse. I genuinely thought that this actor was like maybe forty. Yeah. Like in his forties, and not just like barely touching it. Right? Yeah. Um, because he he looks. I I don't. It's been too long. I don't. At remember. the at the end of this movie, they both look like shit. But that's just because they're both wearing like yeah. Well, one she's wearing like heavy old woman makeup, and two he was exploded by a pipe bomb or something. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so Andy, do you think this movie deserves an Oscar? No, fuck this movie. I I think like I think this movie is like emblematic of a lot of problems that we are going to see more in, like, these type of propaganda movies. Like, yeah. I think this is, like, a titular propaganda movie. I think this is emblematic of a lot of problems with society today. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I do think it's funny that this movie is a Western, but it's not a Western in, like, the classic way we think about no, it. No, not at all. That movie's not going to come out for another five years, which is John Wayne's Stagecoach. Mm-hmm. Um, but this movie has, and this movie's way better than that movie, for sure, in terms of, like, its portrayal of Native Americans. But... I think this movie, the fact that, like, nothing that this movie is good enough for me to say that it's good. No. Um, Everything is terrible. Well, the real, there are many problems. The real problem, though, is this movie thinks that it's so progressive. This movie really thinks that it's saying something so progressive. And this movie literally ends being like, we solved the issues. It's 1931. Mm-hmm. We don't have sexism anymore. We don't have racism anymore. We did it. It really does like a Marvel movie. <laughs> it really does like a Marvel movie. And... So it's like I can't I can't say any well one this movie's boring and sounds terrible. Yeah. Uh so like it's not fun to watch visually. It doesn't know what like symbolism is or narrative or emotion or characters are. Like there's literally nothing about this movie to compliment at all. 
Because I, I, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, there is no like one quintessential thing that they're looking for in a best picture movie. I think it's just overall best picture, right? And, and it was this was the best propaganda. They were like, "Damn, we can sell this to the people and they'll believe it." Damn, you're telling me that I can get. Uh... <laughs> Damn, Mr. Barry Gordy, you're telling me you'll give me a hundred dollars for all my songs. You're telling me you'll give me a hundred dollars for all of my land. Yeah, it's real bad. We have been your hapless critics, uh, Mavis Evergreen. You can find me at Awkward Allegory on Twitter. Uh, I have been your other critic, uh, Andy Race. You can find me on Twitter at Royalty underscore Valens. Uh, You can also find my other happier podcast, happier as of this week, podcast um, at Um, direct2.video. Next time. We will have the pleasure of remaining in the year 1931. Yeah, we and watching the uh, best director movie, Skippy. I don't know. Directed by Norman Taurog. That you know doesn't bode well, but it doesn't bode bad either. I feel like it's about sea things, but I don't know. It it, honestly, it could be about it could be about a fucking kid skipping, right? Like it. it, That's the thing about the old old ass movies is you never know. Like in big fart, in big fart, <laughs> in big fart. She's in it. <laughs> Welcome to Big Fart, Oklahoma. Population one, Saybrook Cravat. She is in big part. <laughs>